an all-star that would have thought. One thing about life, about life, about life, it always works out. One way or another, it's gonna work out. Perception is only a figment of our imagination, 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 imagination. One thing about life, about life, it always works out. Serious fun. It's gonna work out. Episode five. Cinco. Cinco out the episode. gate, Dave. This is exciting. We're back. We're Hawks and I are back. Thrilled to be back. Dude, I I'm not sure if you're ready. I I'm not. But that's it. <laughs> well, we, let's get a little peace. Yeah. Let's go, P. Let's go, P. Let's go, Nate Dog. Thank you, Nate Dog, for the beautiful intro. That one's called All Good, featuring Paris Robinson. And Dave, we are indeed back, dude. And it's great to be back with you. It is indeed. It's been a minute. It has been. But it's, oh, will it be worth it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So <laughs> what we're going to do today is that you and I have, I went to go organize Eclipse and I realized all of these things fit together, but this can't be one episode. Dave would just, he, he's going to need to have some space here. So I brought a lot of material to the table. However, we're going to break it up. And so if you'll indulge me, Dave, can you just be ready to, to go in with me today? Because I brought out some of the heavy material. <sighs> I brought out some heavy hitters. Oh, boy. Okay. I brought out some heavy hitters. And, and in, in an effort to get what I want to say out today, we're going to need to like meander around some things first. Okay. okay. But I promise you by the time we get to the end of episode six, you'll have understood why I laid it out the way that I laid it out. Okay. okay? So even if you feel in the early parts of this tapestry of, of uh, stories that I'm going to put together for you. If you feel like Brooks, what, what is Brooks saying? Just, just like I said, stick with it. I'll stick with it. He's going to stick with it. And, and I imagine we have your commitment to stick with it. Well, are we ready? I'm Th ready, man. This one's called mind your business. Okay. All right. Okay. Any initial, what could we, what, what could we be talking about in mind your business? Some, corporate bullshit some uh you know people getting up in other people's ish you know there's lots of different different takes on this out the gate so those are my two initial thoughts remember i know nothing dave sits down blind know. ladies and gentlemen nothing he's blind he knows what you know which is the show's called mind your business and here's the setup clip it goes like this the biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? You know who that was, Dave? Oh, dude, he's the other true detective other than McConaughey. He, I forget his name. 
That's Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, of course. Of of, of acclaimed fame. Yeah, iconic. Woody Harrelson yep. made his debut, at least his big time debut on Cheers. Do you, did you ever watch Cheers? I was a little. You're a little older than me. I am. I am. <laughs> and in fact, I'm so old that Cheers was actually playing during my birth. That was a story that my parents t- told me. So I've no, I've known Woody Harrelson. He's been part of my life for a long time. And that was him on SNL making a joke. Yep. Earlier this year, yeah, about, you know, said events of the past three. Yeah, and how if it was a movie script, he would have thrown it away because it would have seemed too too ridiculous. Too ridiculous and obvious and silly. Exactly. So, uh, as we've discussed so far, Dave, in episode one, we talked about nudging, which was nudging is is trying to get you to take take on behaviors without your knowledge or consent by mm-hmm. setting up some sub- subconscious triggers. Mm-hmm. Then I talked about, we talked about conspiracy realists and the, the term conspiracy theory and how it was weaponized to stigmatize people. And then we went on to talk about the way that companies like uh, pharmaceutical companies use the media to conspire to get their message out. And it was fair to say that they were messing with us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then we talked about food, right? And how food had infiltrated its way and what really counted as food and how the, all the, all those things, you know, uh, interlaced between each other. And then I dropped in a little, little side tangent called fat phobia, which was just a deconstruction of fat phobia as a, as a term and the fat acceptance movement. We're going to get, what, what are all these things share in common? Uh, I mean, <laughs> stuff that is obvious to some veiled to many and uh, not in our best interest as human beings. The thing that to me that they share in common as a theme is the thing that we're going to start with, which is I think the thing they share in common is that it's are all engaged forms of mind control, controlling what you think and believe by definition is, is mind control. And I think that as a central theme throughout our show, one of the things that we talk about is learning to take responsibility for your stories and for your mindset. When you do that, you can start to see the world from new angles when you start with your inner world. So words are one of the ways that we know can be weaponized for mind control, whether on a macro scale or between two individuals. Okay. Who is the big notorious boogeyman for engaging in mind control on the population that we've talked about? The big boogeyman. Yeah. The boogeyman who, who, who's the one that we're, is the big conspiracy theory boogeyman that everybody thinks is behind everything. Carl Schwab. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who do they think invented the word conspiracy theory? Uh, CIA. Exactly. Yeah. So the CIA is the big like conspiracy boogeyman. And so, you know, it's easy to uh, uh, discount that as a conspiracy theory, but what I want you to start to pay close attention to is how often this comes up, okay? Now, this may seem like we're taking a little trip uh, out of the way, but I want you to mostly listen to this and tell me what you, what you notice. The U.S. intelligence community has concluded that a foreign country was not 
responsible for the so-called Havana Syndrome cases involving U.S. officials working overseas. Now, this finding comes as a disappointment to U.S. diplomats and intelligence officials who believe they suffered attacks and are still dealing with serious ailments. NPR National Security Correspondent Greg Myrie has been following this closely. He's here now. Hey, Greg. Hi, Mayor Louise. So, Havana Syndrome, named that because cases were first reported in Cuba back in 2016. Does the intelligence community now believe they know what happened? Well, not exactly. I think it would be more precise to say the intelligence community is pretty sure of what didn't happen in Cuba and several other countries. This report is the work of seven different U.S. intelligence agencies, and they're pretty sure that no foreign adversary like Cuba, Russia, China is responsible. Five of these seven agencies said it was highly unlikely that a foreign country was to blame. One said it was unlikely and one didn't take a position. Now, the report goes on to say that there's no credible evidence that a foreign adversary even has a weapon that could have inflicted this kind of harm. This goes against what many people suspected, including a lot of intelligence officers and diplomats I have interviewed who suffered from something and suffer ailments now. How are they responding? Who done it? So the basic situation is as follows. There were some American CIA and diplomats, CIA operatives or, you know, employees and diplomats that all started having these weird experiences that all shared the same symptoms. They started calling it the Havana syndrome. Now, the claim by the people who were experiencing it was that they felt like they were intentionally attacked with an energy weapon. And for people in the real deep know, they they might happen to know that this is possible. But what did you notice about the reporting? Uh, the reporting said that no foreign entities were, uh, were responsible for this. How are they responding? Well, they're very disappointed, as as you may expect. They remain convinced they suffered an attack. They've speculated it was possibly some kind of energy weapon, maybe a microwave device, but they acknowledge they don't have proof. Uh, Many recall the exact moment when they suffered a sharp, piercing pain in their head, which caused them to be dizzy or nauseous or suffer migraine headaches. Uh, They say they'd never had these problems before, and now they've had them for years. I've been in contact with two of them who didn't want to speak on the record, but I spoke with attorney Mark Zaid. He's representing more than two dozen clients and says he has had access to some of the classified information. I can at least say the U.S. government has a lot more information than what it is publicly revealing today. And that is where a lot of the unanswered questions arise from. So I'll note that uh, two intelligence officials briefed a small number of journalists on this report, but they didn't share the contents of the actual report itself uh, because that's still classified. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I jumped in on there just a little bit. I got a little trigger happy with the clip there, Dave. Hey, man. Clip two. All good. Clip two is all good. So. There's there's more evidence that there's information that's not being shared about this, but they're reporting about it on the news. Okay, I have a couple of more just because I again uh, this is all drawn to a point. What was one of the main takeaways is the way that uh, big entities control the uh, mind or market or nudge you is is through the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. 
like news organizations. So it's important to really pay attention to how certain things are reported in an effort to shape the narrative of what's going on. Can I keep going? Yep. Let's go. And so in a way, it remains as much of a mystery as it ever was. I mean, if it wasn't a foreign government, if no electronic weapon was used, then what caused these injuries? Well, the intelligence officials said the individual cases vary, but collectively they were probably pre-existing medical conditions, conventional illnesses or environmental factors. Um, the intelligence officials say they didn't find what they were looking for, that a foreign adversary was behind this, but they did learn a lot of things they weren't looking for. For example, of a faulty air conditioning system or a heating system can cause uh, changes to room pressure, and this could cause headaches. It, and, and so as they were investigating, they, they came across things like uh, weapons dealers and drug dealers near the scene. But again, nothing that linked anybody uh, to, to the ailments that these U.S. officials suffered. Still so many questions and not a lot of answers. NPR's Greg Myrie, thank you. Did any of that sound familiar as a tactic, a denial tactic? Yeah. What? What? Where? Where have you noticed that tactic before, Dave? I've noticed it over the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, in response to what's been going on since early 2020, um, I've seen it on political sides, left and right, uh, gaslighting a little bit, just coming up with stupid ass excuses about stupid ass stuff. Oh, you mean you mean something like this? Catherine, I know that you've talked to and you've heard these stories from more than a dozen national security officials and their families who say, look, this is a real thing. They were deeply affected. I can't imagine what they're thinking this morning. Are you hearing anything from them? I am, Gail. A former intelligence oh, officer oh, told on, CBS News that... My bad. My bad. Hold on. I picked the wrong clip. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But I can... Wait. It's. I have it. Here we go. Let's see. Is this the right one? Got to get my clips in order. This one just came a little early, early. So I'm going to keep going. This is live production, folks. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I might have saved that for later in the show. And I know that the main reason that I did that was for a different reason. Oh, yeah, here we go. I believe this is it. Yeah, exactly. You mean things like this, David. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Jen joins us now with a very interesting topic that affects a lot of people. I found this interesting. One in five American adults actually uses cannabis. Mm -hmm. And new data shows that daily cannabis use is actually an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Coronary artery disease, so clogging of the arteries. And this is an abstract, so very preliminary data, but it's presented at the annual meeting for the American Car College of Cardiology. It represents one of the largest and longest term studies to date. That's one of the reasons why it's important. But found that people who admitted to using daily cannabis, um, and it didn't distinguish, by the way, whether it was inhaled, smoked, or ingested in edible form, but increased their risk of coronary artery disease by 34%, um, oh even God. if they took into account other <sighs> factors like age um, and race. So there's still a lot of questions here, um, you know, in terms of time interval. They seem to see an increased risk with increase in use because they looked at like never users once in a while, weekly, daily, daily had the most risk. Um, but I think what's really important here is that, you know, whether it's recreational, 
or medicinal. This is here to stay. It's much more common. It's not an all or none thing. It's completely safe versus completely dangerous. We just need more data. And this study goes a long way for that. We just need more what day? Data. Oh, we need more data. Yeah. Oh, we've heard that tactic before too. We have. We just so, need more data. So let's let's unpack that. In that in that clip, we hi, I highlighted <clears throat> that they use uh, they they they're announcing can, uh, uh, cannabis is connected to coronary heart disease right around the same time that that coronary heart disease is, is, has experienced a large spike in prevalency all of the sudden. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay. you know, global warming causes coronary heart disease too. Right. And there's a, yeah. I couldn't find that. There's a, a couple of TikTokers <laughs> that had a list, a running list of highlights of all the things that were making like heart disease in yeah. people. Yep. And it was like, yeah, the, one was noticeably absent. Yeah. One was noticeably oh, yeah, absent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, and that, and that was, this. and that was certainly the vaccine. Yeah. Right. That was noticeably absent from the list. Okay. So back to the Havana syndrome. Let's go back. I want to, I'm going to keep po poking at the reporting here because there's a, a theme that will show up. This is a different, that was PBR that we just listened to. This is CBS. We've got new findings to report on the mysterious ailment called Havana syndrome affecting U.S. officials stationed abroad. Now, it's the result of a multi-year investigation conducted by five separate agencies. Senior investigative correspondent, that's Catherine Herridge, has been following this story. Catherine, what'd they find? Well, good morning, Gail. The agencies found that it's very unlikely the mysterious neurological symptoms known as Havana syndrome are the result of actions by a foreign adversary. In a comprehensive review, investigators examined more than 1,500 reported cases. Symptoms range from dizziness, headaches, and memory loss to cognitive impairments so severe that some victims say they can no longer work. The new intelligence report concluded it's very unlikely a foreign adversary played a role, and there is no credible evidence that a foreign adversary has a weapon. The intelligence agencies also assess that symptoms were probably the result of factors that did not involve a foreign adversary, such as pre-existing conditions, conventional illnesses, and environmental factors. The Defense Department is running its own investigation and told victims, Gail, that work continues. He said foreign adversary like 12 times. Made sure to mention that it's definitely not times. a foreign adversary. Yeah. It's certainly not a foreign adversary. It certainly is not. Nope. Um, did you notice that the symptoms were cognitive impairment? Mm -hmm. Cognition is another word for what? Your brain. Yeah. Or Thinking your mind. Mind, yeah. So literal controlling of the mind. They're claiming these people are like, hey, somebody jacked my brain. Mind impaired. Yes. Mind impaired. Okay, I think, uh, yeah, the foreign and the foreign adversary is is what's interesting. Now, in the earlier reports, they mentioned that there were seven. I'm not sure if you know how the security apparatus works, and we don't have time to break down the entire security apparatus of the United States. But there there are more known security organizations and the CIA is one of the most well known. What are some of the other known intelligence agencies in the United States? Uh, FBI classic, uh, ATF. Yep. Um, DEA. Boom. Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's, there's a, others, yeah. many and well over a dozen and seven of them were part of the reporting. But then there were five. Well, there, there's one name that was noticeably absent from, from the list, uh, there. And to me, it's more so who they don't talk about. And, uh, I happened to notice that they didn't talk about DARPA. 
DARPA or the CIA whatsoever. Yeah. They they never they weren't mentioned. I'll at least acknowledge that. So there was a uh, a book that came out. Uh, it may get mentioned in this next clip. Uh, man, I just looked it up the other day. I thought I had it ready, and it was. It's about how the CIA engaged in certain tactics with other nations, and one of the uh, overthrow governments and yes, you know, and still puppet leaders and precisely elections and assassinate people and start drug wars and totally just yeah. But that, go on. Sorry. That's what that's what the yeah. book is about. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the ways that they were able to uh, found that they that would uh, how do you say uh, desensitize or uh, make pass pacify the foreign adversary was uh, putting fluoride in the water, and so fluoride has become this like is it is it a boogeyman? Is it real? Is it not real? Is it good for your teeth? Is it not good for your teeth? Uh, so I pulled like a little clip because this is another known tactic. So there's like this, you got the energy weapons going on and then you got the distract and then you got the dumb them down. Yeah. So, so here's Adam Curry. He's the creator of podcasting. He made the technology that allowed podcasting to be possible. He's runs the number one podcast in the universe. That is the no agenda show. And here's just him. Uh, this is a brief little anecdote on his remembrance as a, you know, somebody who's been in the game a long time as to what really was going on with fluoride. I mean, the way I've always heard the story is fluoride in your water is a runoff product from heavy industry. Yeah. Aluminum being one of them. Uh, in order to hoodwink the people into into uh, putting it into their own water, they, they say, well, you know, uh, it's good for your teeth. It'll protect your teeth. Yeah. Turns out there's no evidence of any of this. And that's his partner, John C. Dvorak, on the No Agenda Show. Well, Dave, that we've heard of another instance where that happened. The runoff, an industrial waste product, was turned into something that was meant to be profitable. Uh, canola oil. Yes. And the sea, all the seed oils and the, uh, the cottonseed oil industry. So, again, these tactics are not new. They are applied in many different areas. And what I'm hoping to do as I deconstruct this is, is that... This is hidden in plain sight if you know what you're looking for. So, hold on. Let me just back up for a second. Yeah. So, fluoride is connected to aluminum. It's aluminum runoff byproduct. That's what, that's what Adam Curry said. Is that, is that, can we var that? Can we factualize that? Would you like me to do a live lookup? Yeah, do a live lookup. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a live lookup. Ask questions. Because aluminum is connected greatly especially aluminum in deodorant and hygiene products and things of that nature are connected to um, things like breast cancer uh, it's also connected to potentially alzheimer's uh, and it's also cooking in aluminum like if you heat something in aluminum if you store it at room temperature it's fine but if you wrap your meat or wrap your veggies or something like that and then grill them and heat them that's awful awful and the only issue with Berkey filters that I know is that apparently they can leach aluminum because that's what the uh, that's like a part of the coating of Berkey so what have we found here Brooks as you do your well it, there does seem to be and I'm reading an article here this is from o, uh, uh, 
osu.edu. I believe it's Ohio State. Uh, I believe it's Ohio State. They're they're pulling out an article called Toxic Treatment, Fluoride's Transformation from Industrial Waste to Public Health Miracle. Oh, Jesus. All right. Okay. Yeah, so you've gone far enough. Gone far <laughs> enough. They're certainly connected. Okay. Uh, well, here's a updated report from Newtane Dynasty about fluoride. A study on the potential dangers of fluoride is expected to be released soon as part of a lawsuit against a government agency. According to plaintiffs, the Department of Health and Human Services previously blocked the study's release. The Fluoride Action Network, or FAN, filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, back in 2017. FAN is trying to ban the use of fluoride in public water supplies in the U.S., The National Toxicology Program, or NPT, conducted a study on fluoride's toxicity. However, the NPT hasn't publicized the study yet. Internal emails seem to indicate that the study wasn't published because the federal government interfered in its publication. The attorney for the plaintiffs received internal CDC emails through a Freedom of Information Act request. The emails were quoted in this court filing, stating A.S.H. Levine has put the report on hold until further notice. A.S.H. Levine is a reference to the United States Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine. The attorney claims that the emails confirm that the CDC was opposed to the NPT releasing the report and that leadership at the top levels of the Department of Health and Human Services intervened to stop the report from being released. Ooh, caught a nerve We're coming up on a smoke break here, (laughs) but keep going. (laughs) Keep going. Okay. Who do they mention there specifically oh, outside our, of the information that I was setting up? Our uh, just beautifully healthy and, and health director, health director, Rachel yeah, Levine. Yeah. All yeah. right. Y'all, I, you put a pin in that for episode seven. Okay. That's where we're going to need to slot in the Rachel Levine angle of all of this is in, is in that episode seven, but let's go to the second part of the report. NTD reached out to the HHS for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. During fall of last year, a U.S. District Court judge lifted a stay on a protective order. That order shielded the NPT's recent study on the toxicity of fluoride from release. Most recently, in a February meeting, the National Institute for Environmental Health Sciences agreed to publicize the NPT's report. The Institute is expected to post the report on NPT's website before March 15th. The posted documents could play a major role in the second trial phase of the ongoing legal battle. A previous review on fluoride conducted by the NPT found that fluoride is presumed to be a cognitive neurodevelopmental hazard to humans. However, the report said that conclusions were based on a higher amount of fluoride that is found in U.S. drinking water. Advocates of fluoride use argue it could prevent tooth decay. The next court hearing in the case is scheduled for April 11th. Best part of waking up is fluoride in my cup. Hmm. So it's a, uh, a very every night, every every morning and every night. You know, before you go to bed, just make sure to top it off with some fluoride. It's a it's a verified know. tactic used by our very own CIA. It has been used as a tactic to su- support our dental health in the United States for a very long time. Hmm. I do have nice teeth. You do have nice teeth. Thank you. Uh, and you know, who knows? What I'm saying is that, um, you know. Is it possible that the uh, uh, power structures that be, whether named some three-letter organization or not, would execute 
things against their civilization and their population. Oh, it is fair to say that, buddy. It is very fair to say that. And I think that mind control is one of those things. So in, in an effort to keep Dave engaged and to make sure that he's feeling good, uh, let's go ahead and take ourselves our first little smoke break, Dave. What'd you, what, do you, what do you say? Be we'll quickie. do a quickie. Yeah, we'll have guy. Just a little quickie. Quick Just a little quickie for the homies. Good golly, Miss Molly. Good golly, Miss Molly. I told you we were going to be going hard in the paint, and we're just getting started, dude. Um, this next clip is to offer uh, some more things to consider. It's, it's, it's related, but it's, it stands alone, this one clip. Um, this is Adam Curry again. This is from No Agenda, and he's he's discussing something that he learned while reading a book called The Lost Art of Healing. Okay? Keep just, again, we just want to keep these concepts in mind as we're talking about mind control and what's possible, what's possible. It's not a matter of if there are mind control techniques. It's a matter of who's using them and for what reason. So here's some more more sample here. There's a, um, I was was reading about this book called The Lost of Art Healing. The Lost Art of Healing, sorry. Um, Nobel laureate Bernard Lohn that writes in here about a, an experiment that was done on a condemned prisoner in 1936, that he was given the choice between being hanged or having his blood gradually and painlessly drained. So now what would you choose? Like, do you want to be hanged or are we going to just slowly drain your blood until you die. Which one would you, you, I think we'd all choose, well, drain me slowly then. So they strapped him to a bed, blindfolded him, but what they did is they they didn't actually drain his blood. They attached water containers and had the drip bucket so he could hear the dripping, which he thought was his blood. His heart ultimately stopped because he really believed he was dying. He didn't lose a drop of blood. Yeah, I mean, this. This uh, made me think of the damn dude. They did a study relatively recently, or I heard about it relatively recently, where there were better results from fake ACL surgeries than from real ACL surgeries because there was less trauma. There's less other, uh, you know, invasive stuff. There's less, you know, uh, uh, chemicals added in. There's less, you know, they got to do anesthesiology. They got, they got to do all that stuff. Right. So what they did is they brought people in who legit had like ACL tears, like the traditional thing would be, Hey, you need surgery. Right. And they brought them in. They, man, they might've even put them under 
Yeah, I think they might have put him under, like done the whole like kit and caboodle, like wheel in, wheel out. They like made like the the marks on their legs and wow. this, that, and the other. And then they, the results were that the people who had the fake surgeries healed faster, better, more efficiently without side effects, et cetera, et cetera, than the people who actually had the real surgeries. But the key again was the placebo effect, I guess, of that deep, real belief that, hey, I'm going in here to get my shit cut open and then put back together right but there there it is mind (sighs) there it is and uh okay so keeping that in mind let's let's go here does anybody remember when they had that shot and they were trying to get everybody to get the shot and then they had all these celebrities go on TV to tell you to go put this shot in your body. And and then it didn't work. And then when it didn't work, they said, well, just go get another shot. And then when you got the other shot, that still didn't work. So then they started blaming all the people that didn't get the shot and claiming that they were the reason that the shot didn't work. And, and they had all the black celebrities telling everybody to go, go get this shot, go get this shot. And then people still weren't getting the shot. So they got mad at you and basically told you, like, you can't hang out with your cousins and you can't talk to your relatives because you didn't get the shot and then it turns out that the shot really didn't work like that and that you know you were kind of right all along oh well (laughs) oh well you remember that i do so uh so it's but but hey the heart disease is due to cannabis yeah cannabis of course and getting too much exercise no doubt oh yeah for sure getting too much exercise uh being outside too much yeah these are if, you're, all, if you're a white male, it happens to be even worse. If it, yeah, it's, it's probably because of the racism. It, exactly. It's just that inherent racism that exists for being white. Apparently, that just comes with whiteness as racism. Yeah, uh, and it, causes, and so it causes heart disease. Yeah, and heart attacks. Heart attacks. Because your heart suffers because it knows it's really racist. Yeah. And, and you, so it can't possibly go on any further. It can't, sure. it can't deny itself anymore. And that's, that's really what disease is. And the, the stress of competition is just so large for so many professional soccer players and that's one of the big reasons that you know yeah it was all the exercise that they got they they were too fit way for their heart to work way too fit yeah it was crazy uh so i mean i'm i've i've experienced having uh at least a uh side effects of a disease that i called uh coronavirus specifically covid19 yeah i i had a i had the flu for a day and a half so I'm going to assume I'm going to make the assumption because I've never verified this with my by myself. I've never been in a lab and, and, and as a virologist and verified the identity of this virus, not once. OK, so I can't I can only assume that the virus that I was suffering from was the virus that they said was out in the, in the wild and in the open. And. If I wanted to amplify the effect of something that was real, knowing what I know about that mind control technique is I would pump the messaging of it that it that th- this is what was going on. And there may be an added bonus of in, uh, actually controlling people's mind into believing that they have it and, and their body creating the side effects mm-hmm. of having it. Mm-hmm. It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. If there were people with nefarious terms that were known for using mind control for their weaponized attacks, if there happened to be a power structure that was known to do that uh, and they had any relation to that virus at all, 
um, there's a chance that that would be what was happening. Okay. Um, but, but part of the way that this was, you know, fed to us was, like I said, through the mainstream media. And uh, I found this little clip that was describing, uh, it was Jen Psaki. She was the former, uh, what do you call him? The secretary press. Yeah, the press secretary. Yeah. And uh, this is her talking about the standards for MSNBC. MSNBC has a very high standard of what is factual. You have to go through a process before you report things on air. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. Can't do it. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Well, you know the science changed, right? That's what I heard. Um, and you know, science has a tendency to do that it actually, does. when you really look at the history of science, it has a tendency to change and evolve over time. So I'm certainly not knocking it, but I'm certainly trying to bring out that this was spoken as a certifiable fact oh, by yeah. Miss Rachel Maddow, that that was a fact. And, and, to and believe- she was the head of the NIH at the time. No, she was no. no that was Rachel Maddow. Oh, she was oh, the oh, host of an N- MSNBC show, got the it, Rachel got Maddow got it, got show. It, and that was her reporting on the facts of the science of the day that uh, were, were certified, couldn't have another possibility at the time. So that by itself, that, that sense of sureness in the delivery, that has some control over people's minds, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Yeah, man, you turn on the TV and you're, you expect to see the people to tell you what's going on in the world and that's what they say. And so that's and they say it do. very intentionally and, and very calculated and, and with the intent to manipulate and convince that's what people who use mind control do. They, they create very compelling stories and they tell it like it's a fact. Mm. And that's part of the challenge that uh, most people w- will experience when going through this, when being subjected to mind control, is that you? it's hard for you to realize that there may be a possibility that this person has ill intent mm. as well as being very convincing. So there are many different ways that we were being controlled. I'll use that word through that circumstance this is a different example of how we were controlled we were controlled through that media you know like hey you're going to kill your grandma Mm -hmm. you know controlled by not being able to leave Mm -hmm. and go travel around freely and this was also going on one week to the day uh the case was about um a gun charge and some drugs. Franklin County criminal offender Sylvan Latham tells me he stood before common police court judge Richard Fry. Latham thought his attorney struck a deal with prosecutors to three years probation. But during his sentencing hearing, Latham said the judge told him he'd give him the five-year max unless he got a COVID-19 vaccine. With the shot, Latham said his probation would be cut down considerably to just one year. I spoke with Judge Fry by phone. He said this is him doing his part to inch the community closer to herd immunity. Oh, he's he's a patriot. Ooh. Just a patriot there. And he's a judge. Yeah. Which means that he's part of the judicial branch, mm-hmm. which means he's part of our government. Mm-hmm. Government should be unpartial. Hey, um, the government got involved in using... COVID-19 and the, sh- and, the, and the shots 
to control and manipulate people to get them to take it so they could reduce their sentence to, on a charge that had nothing to do with health or public health whatsoever. It was used to try to control his mind into a decision without his consent, for sure. All because he was going through a legal issue, which he likely is needs to be held accountable for. And what I'm getting at is that's another mechanism that impacts a whole different type of community than you or I may be a part of or aware of is that there are citizens that live in very tough circumstances that were also had their, their means of living and their safety and security leveraged over them in an effort to try to nudge them into getting, yeah, you can't get on the public bus. You, you, You can't go to your job. Your job doesn't exist. You can't even work unless you're an essential worker, right? They, they, mandated I mean dude, they did this to the military you, had to get, you got kicked out of the military if you didn't go through with the government mandates which well, I think were ultimately ruled unconstitutional even though they did it for months and months and months now they're ruled in unconstitutional but the acts have already been done right. and it's like are the accountabilities in check to go back and hold people accountable no, so far I haven't back. nobody's no Right. So, um, yeah, let's just this. I'm going to pull up a clip. This is Robert Malone. Robert Malone has doctor, Dr. Robert Malone. He's he's certainly received a lot of uh, claim and fame around uh, coronavirus because of his relationship to the mRNA technology that he, um, you know, pretty much claims that he invented. Uh, Some people have pushed back that he didn't solely do it, Um, but he has a claim here. He was on the Aubrey Marcus show. and, And here's here's what it is. We have all been subjected to the most powerful, coordinated, globally harmonized, military-grade propaganda campaign in the history of the Western world. And it's been going on for three years. These are highly refined psychological warfare tools that were deployed on the entire population and a large fraction of the population succumbed to them. Should we hate them or are they the victims? Should we hate those that, that were compromised by these weapons of war, I argue no. There are brothers and sisters. Absolutely. There are brothers and sisters. And furthermore, it it serves the interests of the opponent, let's call it empire, to exploit that and keep us divided. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> reminds me of that meme. It's like, you know, the two kids sitting around like an old, old looking, uh, uh, you know, uh, guys dressed up all nice. And it's kind of like an old, you know, maybe like forties or fifties style, like, like thing. It's like, Hey dad, you know, (laughs) how'd you get through the, the, uh, you know, Corona, but tell me about coronavirus or whatever, you know? And, and he's, uh, his dad says his thing and the kid's like fucking legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I, I just, uh, uh, you know, uh, me and my buddies just, just, uh, rebuffed the largest, greatest propaganda campaign in the history of, of mankind. It's like fucking legend, fucking legend. <laughs> and, uh, here is the former director of global news, which is a Canadian news organization. being on interviews speaking about that this is this actually did happen in her opinion yeah 
And you were working for Global in this position uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic arrived in 2019. Is that correct? Yes. I was a director of newscasts when COVID-19 happened. Yeah. So you've touched a little bit uh, on the vaccines already, but uh, as we're all aware at this point, they were rolled out in early 2021. Can you describe the coverage that you saw regarding vaccines and vaccinations specifically? Well, yeah, I mean, the vaccine was like a religion, you know, like um, all we did was constantly run stories of, okay, look at this look at this person in the hospital, this person who made a bad choice and didn't get the vaccine. Oh, they ended up in the hospital. It's like all our stories were slanted to that. Everything we were saying was pandemic of the unvaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, you'll be holding everybody back. And that we now know isn't true. In your it has yeah, I apologize uh, for interrupting. Yeah. In your experience, have you seen any other event reported in this manner? I've never seen an event in my life where you cannot go to someone to talk about it, like a senior producer, like a news director, and and express your concern. And they would be open to your concerns. You know, they would be if you had a news tip to give someone, they would at least take it on board. They wouldn't say no, 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 no. Stop talking. I don't know how many times there I was told to stop talking about something. So there's an absolute reluctance, reluctance to provide accurate information and to cover things that you should be doing that could help you. All there was was what I would say is propaganda. And I would agree with her. Yeah. Based on what we've talked about in the show so far, seems propaganda-ish to me. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, yeah, I remember all that. What was one of the first uh, claims to have been dubbed conspiracy theory at the beginning of the pandemic? Uh, that it was made in a lab. Clip. Next, next, next clip, dude. dude. I literally don't know that any of this is coming, by the way. Tonight, CBS News has new information on that classified Department of Energy report that details the origin of the COVID-19 virus. The new intelligence points to a possible lab leak in Wuhan, China. CBS's Catherine Herridge has more. Cameras went inside the Wuhan labs as the pandemic unfolded three years ago. Now, two sources close to the U.S. government probe into the origins of COVID-19 tell CBS News there is new intelligence that points to an accidental lab leak. The sources said the Energy Department has low confidence in the new reporting, though it's not clear whether that reflects weak data or limited intelligence. We really do want to know uh, what, do what want happened to here. The White House would not endorse the new finding. The intelligence community and the rest of the government is still looking at this. Um, it, it, there's not been a definitive conclusion. Intelligence agencies have not been able to agree on how the pandemic that killed more than a million Americans started. Several still point to the possibility of natural transmission through animals. The first major outbreak occurred at a Wuhan wildlife and seafood market. Getting answers from the Chinese government or PRC has been impossible, according to State Department spokesperson Ned Price. For more than two years now, the PRC has been blocking from the beginning international investigators and members of the global health uh, community from accessing information that they need uh, to understand the origins of COVID-19. With more than 7 million deaths worldwide, the lack of transparency has frustrated health experts.
Why does knowing still matter? Knowing the origins of COVID really matters because it will impact how we prepare for the future. So if this was the result of a lab leak, it may result in tighter safety procedures in the lab, more regulations on what kind of research is allowed. Whereas if this is a natural occurrence, it does point to the need for better surveillance among uh, animal populations, for example, to see what, what might be brewing um, as the next virus there. Why do we need to know, Dave? For two reasons. It's either going to go one way or another. Either we learn that it was a lab leak and what would happen? Tighter regulations on on labs, what you can research, what you can do, how you can do it, etc. I.e. limits on what type of tools that you have to potentially uh, uh, execute against the population. Or it's a natural occurrence and what then happens? Oh, well, we really need to start monitoring animal populations. Way more. Way more surveillance and control. Those are the two routes that we're set with this narrative is either we're going to actually pay attention to what's going on in these labs and get run tighter controls, or we actually ignore that and we go, oh, it's a natural occurrence and let's get tighter on that control. Yeah, man. Let's make sure no more bats fuck any more penguins. Or Can't have that. Yeah. Certainly the the the... Wuhan coronavirus, <laughs> coronavirus couldn't have come from the Wuhan. Wuhan. Well, this is from <laughs> C- this is from CBS wow. Evening News, and this is pretty recent, which was in the last couple of months. So it's still on the table that it was a lab leak, and now we understand the incentive for the for the other narrative that it was a natural occurring virus. Because if it wasn't, and this was a lab leak, ooh, we're going to need to take just a little closer pay and attention as to what these types of organizations are making and doing. Yeah, they're gonna, and they might trace it back to. Uh, Mr. Fauci himself and the NIH, or they might start looking around in Ukraine for some of those uh, bio labs and everything else, you know? Who knows? Who knows? Well, here's something, here's another type of, another word for mind control in in the modern uh, world is influence. If you have influence, you are shaping or in a way controlling what people think. Either intentionally or unintentionally, you have a certain level of control over someone's mind. One very uh, uh, popular show that has a lot of influence is called The View. Have you ever heard of The View? Yeah. Who do you think The View hate the most? Men? That's pretty close. <laughs> One particular man. Oh, uh, Mr. Orange Face. Mr. Orange Face. So, so they were railing his handling of all of this at one point uh, and his conspiracy theories that it could have come out of a lab, his conspiracy theories that there was more to this than meet the eye. But now this information has come out that the lab leak was possible. And, and the view has a re they think that they've cracked the code as to uh, who's to blame for why people didn't pay closer attention to the lab leak when it was said at first. Trump unleashed this xenophobia. He, st- he stopped allowing Chinese people to come to the country. He then started calling it the... Um, Don't even say it. Don't yeah, even he say called it something. Virus. And he kept on saying <laughs> yeah. China, China, and doing yeah. this thing yeah. where I was even concerned as someone who had lost family members right. for Manny to even bring it up. And that is really sad. The last guy before Biden said anything about this, he made it about Asian people. And 
I'm sure John Stewart didn't realize that that's what was happening because I'm sure he didn't know what was going on all over the country with Asian folks getting smacked and hit and people saying stuff to them about bringing the disease here. I mean, this was this was what was happening. And if you know who had not started it with that, had he not made it about that, had he said, listen, this might have come out of a lab, it probably would have been listened to a lot different. Had it not been for Trump and saying those xenophobic things, we probably would have listened more intently. And even though Trump doesn't get a pass because he's like the, you know, uh, Antichrist or whatever, uh, we'll give Jon Stewart a pass because he's a uh, left-leaning Democrat and liberal, which I've loved Jon Stewart for many years uh, for many different reasons. I thought his creative work was amazing on The Daily Show, but he gets a pass. Yeah. Uh, well, if you'll recall, the uh, almost all the Democrats were against the vaccine in the beginning or very, very, very hesitant. Oh, no, no. They, Kamala Harris included, you know, she because, would not take no, the Trump vaccine. Dude. No, it just wouldn't happen. And I do think him calling it the China virus is fucking hysterical. China, <laughs> China, <virus>. China, China. <laughs> so we got a couple of clips before we get to our producer break. And uh, we got a couple of clips before we go to producer break, because I'm going to give Dave a break. I'm going to give you a break. Uh, but that. I'm trying to, again, show you all these different ways that control of your mind is being executed, okay? And, and considering that uh, uh, the COVID-19 campaign is the most prevalent thing that has happened to humanity in the longest amount of time, it's fair to really use that as a, as a modern example of, about how certain types of mind control can be weaponized against you. Okay, uh, uh, so we started with the physical mind control devices that may it was it's not certainly not a foreign entity. No, they've ruled out that it's not a foreign entity. Yeah. And then we talked about the tried and true one, which was the fluoride in the water now coming out to show that there's not only more no better medical benefit. It likely has a neuro neuro inhibitor that is harming people's health. Then we got into some of the vid and. All the different ways that they talked the about and the it Fauci and the yeah. Fauci algae. Yeah. Okay. But the good news is that there are people that are speaking out because this is going to be a, a theme for us is that it's, it's important to use the action of your voice to talk about these things so you can do differently too. Is Jamie Foxx one of those people? No, uh, this is actually Dr. Marty McCary. He's a physician, and this is them testifying before Congress about some of the data and research. Greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine that young people benefit from a booster misinformation our two top experts on vaccines quit the fda in protest over this particular issue pushing boosters in young healthy people the data was never there that's why the cdc never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted americans under age 50 
The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Yeah, but you can't talk about that now because now you get censored. Who, that guy? No, anybody else. By saying anything like that? Yeah. I mean, they're going to try. But it just turns out that you can't censor facts. People people have a way to get it out. It's called podcasting. And you can get on platforms that can't kick you off. And even if they do kick you off uh, of the mainstream platforms, there are there are decentralized platforms that we exist on that cannot kick us off of the Internet on purpose. We are using that model on purpose because we're going to talk about these sorts of things. Right. But the people who are turning on the news where the news could be, should be reporting these misinformations, you know, the same folks who would turn on your CNN or your Fox or your MSNBC or your CBS or whatever are not getting that information that, that unless they are tuning into decentralized platforms and otherwise, or they're watching, uh, <clears throat> or, you know, a C-SPAN, a C-SPAN on, <laughs> and there are some C-SPANners out there that are going to see this, uh, be, and they're going to see this, this testimony. Um, but the, the thing that I, the biggest takeaway for me was what he said at the end, which is the weaponization of medical science research. This is part of the linchpin of episodes five and six, the weaponization of medical research. Why? If you're trying to control the mind, you use facts and figures stats. There's like, uh, there's lies, damn lies and statistics (laughs) is the old saying. Okay, numbers are confusing if you don't know how the inverse of numbers work when you present statistics, because if I say something is uh, uh, increased by 400 percent. Yeah, it's like I also can say it increased four times. So which one sounds more impressive? 400 percent. Exactly. It's the same stat just told differently. So it creates a different perception in your mind. And the people that study statistics and use statistics know this. They've 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 been using statistics to get through their academic lineage for a long time to create convincing, compelling arguments against people who were trained to think this way. I also believe that in this current day and age, science has replaced the institution of religion as the presiding a belief system of the population and or, or gender, but that's probably a different episode. Uh, <laughs> it is a different episode, but it's those they're related. Yeah. They're related. And we will talk about how, but let's go back. We, we got to stay on topic, which is we've been talking about COVID things. We're told were conspiracy theories, not possible. You wait long enough. You start getting more information like this. So there we go. World Health Organization, quite surprising, really. COVID-19 vaccinations can induce multiple sclerosis. 
from the WHO uh, itself. Um, and I can tell you about this one because it is an official WHO site. Um, let's hope the WHO publish more so I'm free to discuss more pathology. A bit concerning about what's going to happen over the next couple of years in terms of prevalence. But um, yeah, we'll find out, won't so we? So early on, man, too. So early on. That's why you have 10, 12, 15 year release schedules for vaccines and safety data for vaccines typically because stuff can pop up in year 10, 15, or 20 and have no idea until that point. Yes. So that's why this is shockingly scary for folks who were propaganded into making a decision. And we're going to learn more about who the driver of that was after our break. We're all, we're coming up on the break. Okay. So the, the question is, yes. is what, what the question is, is why, how, how did this get through to the public? Well, what, what, who is one of the gatekeepers of getting this through to the public? Who had to say that this could be done? The president Fauci. Nope. Government. FDA. FDA. So the FDA, because we had, uh, they passed the um, Emergency Use Authorization Act, which allowed them to bypass full certification by the FDA, allowed them to introduce it into the market sooner. And the FDA was one of the gatekeepers for whether or not this was allowed to be used. So here's Sean Stevenson, Stevenson, uh, who is a podcaster he's an in, uh, investigator you could say and he's always bringing facts about uh, a lot of the institutions that are running around public health specifically so this is sean stevenson on what he learned from the fda i believe it's got some background noise sorry uh, background music so i didn't put it back there yay over 75 percent of their scientific review budget is funded by drug companies our fda is supposed to be regulating and checking keeping in check drug companies are funded by those same drug companies but for me there's still there's still surface i dug more published in the journal science one of our most prestigious journals they look at the process of scientific review for a drug to see are not just the entity of the fda itself but are individuals at the fda itself being compromised by drug companies mm -hmm. And so what they found was that when a new drug is brought up for the review process, the physician advisors who are on the board for approving this approval process end up getting paid by a drug company who's involved in that clinical trial. Almost 40% of the time they receive a payment from that same drug company or a competitor. Okay. Now, how is this legal? It's a post hoc payment. So they're not paying them and then getting the thing. It might be six months later. Right. It might be nine months later. They're getting either cash, they're getting a grant, they're getting they're getting money. And this is literally, there were cases where millions, hundreds of thousands, thousands of dollars. How is this even possible in what's supposed to be the gold standard for drug regulation in the world? It's so riddled with layers of corruption that even the good people who are trying to get good products, helpful products to people, it's being compromised at every level. $115 million in royalties paid out to NIH members. And, can't you can't, and you can't verify royalties. Can't, mm. um, you can't, can't disclose that. You don't need to disclose that. Nor can I verify your claim just because I, I haven't looked into it, but I'll take your word for it that you're seeing these numbers correctly. So corruption is often used as a way that uh, certain power structures disrupt governments and overthrow them. In like smaller so third world countries where we can bribe elected officials and citizens. That is predominantly where those tactics works. 
but now we're uh, really seeing that it turns out it works all over the world. So great. knowing that, knowing that, and knowing that the vaccine itself or the, the mRNA tech platform was allowed to be used by the FDA, knowing that the FDA has a bunch of kickback systems and that it's very likely to be corrupted. I'm, I'm very curious as to why stuff like this continues to be pushed uh, so, because this is all based on the mRNA tech platform, a lot of these problems, but I'm, this, I'm, I'm going to let this clip speak for itself. In today's Daily Health right now, an FDA panel is holding its first of two meetings to consider whether to recommend RSV vaccines, one made by Pfizer, the other made by GlaxoSmithKline. Now, both of these vaccines would be for people aged 60 and older, and if approved, they would be the first vaccines for this particular virus. I want to bring in NBC News health reporter Aria Bendix now. Help us understand what's, what's going on here. We know that about 14,000 older Americans die from RSV every year. So, you know, if, if this is approved, this vaccine is approved. How soon could they be available? And what, what are some of the potential side effects? Yeah, so the FDA panel is weighing in right now, today and tomorrow. Usually it takes a couple months for them to make a decision, not on an accelerated pathway like we saw with COVID. Uh, the target date I've been hearing is May 2023. I think at the very least we can be optimistic we'll see at least one RSV vaccine, if not more, by the time we have this next respiratory virus season in the winter. So that's really good news. Uh, these particular vaccines from Pfizer and GSK have shown pretty high efficacy against severe illness illness in clinical trials, upwards of 68% against severe illness. Um, side effects have been pretty mild or moderate. Yeah, People have felt fatigue, muscle pain, pain at the ejection site. The one thing I do want to point out, though, is the FDA briefing document this week did point to a potential link of Guillain-Barre syndrome with Pfizer's vaccine. That was based on just two cases in the clinical trial. So right now they're saying to Pfizer, monitor it moving forward, maybe do a study um, and evaluate that potential is that risk. A, that's a rare syndrome, a dangerous thing? Yeah, it's a rare neurological disorder. We do sometimes see it associated with vaccines so it's just something to watch out for so over the fall and the winter we all remember rsv cases were spiking in children there were there were all these pediatric wards that had, didn't have enough beds for kids are there any vaccines in the works for kids yes there are so pfizer is actually testing the same formulation as this shot for older adults in pregnant people and the hope is that it will confer protection to their infants as well um, that shot is also proved to be pretty effective in clinical trials about 69 percent uh, protection for severe illness for infants within the first six months of life. Um, and the FDA is actually reviewing that data right now. So we may have results or an FDA decision by August. Uh, then we have a second uh, monoclonal antibody injection. So not a vaccine, but it would function pretty similarly from Sanofi and AstraZeneca. That might be you know, in the pipeline pretty soon as well. So lots of good options on the table. Yeah. Some good news. Some, some good news. Pregnant people. <laughs> yeah, let's... <laughs> yeah. Pregnant people, yeah. not pregnant women, pregnant people. But now they're like, again, we've talked about how industry needs to expand its market. Yeah. And, and, and use the wasted or unused stuff of their warehouses and stores to do other things as canned goods and fertilizers and et cetera. This is, they got a ton of old vaccine bullshit and they need to use it. And there are, they are invested in the platform. Mm hmm. MRNA is going to be used as a platform to solve and heal all these different diseases. This is why it needed to be chosen. This is it's because there is some there is a particular group who has a lot of investment 
in this technological platform. So they continue to pump stuff like this into the marketplace for us to begin to control our minds to accept that this is inbound and incoming. Tell me this is the livestock. The pandemic helped to speed the development of a new class of vaccines, the mRNA shots against COVID made by Pfizer and Moderna. Now scientists hope to create mRNA vaccines against other diseases for which traditional vaccines have not worked. NPR's Nareed Eisenman traveled to the University of Cape Town in South Africa, where they report a breakthrough against tuberculosis. mRNA vaccines are like a plug-and-play system. If you know what proteins on a virus or bacterium a person's immune system can latch onto to kill it, you insert the genetic code for those proteins into the vaccine. But when it comes to the tuberculosis bacteria, TB for short— Figuring out what those target proteins should be is tricky. TB is quite a, a complex bug. That's Munyaradzi Mashoshi, one of the researchers behind this breakthrough. And he's about to show me the key to it. So, yeah, here will be the cells in liquid nitrogen. So we'll oh, wow. I'm looking at some enormous metal vats. Fire tanks, yeah. Yeah, liquid nitrogen tanks. Inside are a set of frozen blood samples collected from about 6,000 South African high school students starting decades ago. Yeah, uh, essentially cryopreserved. They were kept nicely frozen. Can I take a peek? I think I'm... As he pulls off the lid, plumes of white vapor clouds spill out. It's kind of hazy, but uh, you just might be able to see a, a little box there. These samples were originally collected for some other studies. Then the leftovers just sat here. Yeah, quite a, quite a long time, almost uh, 12 years. Back in his office, Mishoshi explains how this all came together. Tuberculosis kills more people around the world than any infectious disease other than COVID. My bad, dude. I actually played I, I played the right clip, the clip that was next in the order. It wasn't the one that was going to piggyback off what you were saying because I kind of set you up. This is that clip, but I want you to hear they were using mRNA to cure TB. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this is another way. Another way. Medicago's manufacturing facility looks like a nursery, but inside these plants, they're growing a new kind of vaccine, one that's now being tested in volunteers around the U.S., including in San Diego. They can grow this material very fast. Dr. Dennis Tarakjian is leading the local arm of the trial at the Medical Center for Clinical Research. It's a two-shot administration 21 days apart. He says this vaccine doesn't need to be frozen like the ones from Pfizer and Moderna, so it's easier to transport and store. It's refrigerated at the same temperatures as the shot from Johnson & Johnson, but it uses entirely different technology. The vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna contain little bubbles of genetic instructions that prompt your cells to make a fragment of the virus. Instead of a fragment, Medicago uses plants to grow particles that look like the entire coronavirus. Just check it out under a microscope. The whole point is that it looks like a virus to your immune system so that you develop a really nice, robust response against it. But it is not a virus. So it, it, in, it, in and of itself, it cannot cause disease. The technology is called a virus-like particle. The FDA approved the first vaccines using the platform in the 1980s for hepatitis B. But the big breakthrough happened in the late 2000s when regulators licensed two vaccines for human papillomavirus, or HPV. So, so there's another grown salad for us to... 
so they didn't get a vaccine. Do you, do you remember when people started saying that they were putting the vaccine into our food mm-hmm. and that was met with radical resistance about the conspiracy, that being a conspiracy theory? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes what happens is that early information gets out and it's like the telephone game. You know, somebody tells you something that's like the original source of the information. By the time it makes its way around to the circle, it's it, it, it ends up sounding a lot different than how it's started. I think that's what happens with a lot of cons- quote unquote conspiracy theories is that this information gets out. And as it's passed from secretly from source to source and it starts to come to the mainstream, by the time it gets to us, the claim has been manipulated to seem more outrageous. They're growing the vaccine as our food. No, they're using plants to use as a technology to make vaccines not the other way around but it does it still still though it's it's something that we should know about you see and now they'll put it in a news story and it's like oh no big deal of course we're talking about it because we're the news but when somebody else said they were putting vaccines in the food it was like oh you're a wild conspiracy theorist we need to get this off the internet there is a huge investment in this I'm going to play one more clip to show that this is a huge thing, the mRNA tech platform. Okay. The international community is marking World Cancer Day. Cancer is among the leading causes of death worldwide. But now, thanks to a cutting-edge COVID vaccine technology, we might, just might, be closer to stopping cancer. Germany's BioNTech is launching a trial in the United Kingdom of personalized cancer vaccines this autumn. More on the technology in this upcoming report. During the COVID-19 pandemic, vaccines were rolled out within a year, faster than most experts believed possible. And messenger RNA vaccines were among the first to gain approvals. They work by giving the body's immune system a preview of potentially dangerous invaders. A dose contains many copies of a short stretch of precise genetic information, the messenger RNA. It induces cells to start making proteins that are otherwise only found on a specific pathogen, like the proteins that stud the surface of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Then, when the immune system encounters the virus, it quickly recognizes the invader and wipes it out. Categorically, messenger RNA vaccines have proven to be exceptionally effective. They have proven to be able to protect people against severe and life-threatening disease and consequently save millions of lives. There are different types of RNA, but all of them are coding molecules, and that code can be rewritten. That's why many drug developers describe RNA as medicinal software. Vaccines that use this software have a major advantage over other platforms. Their codes can be easily altered to also make other proteins found on other disease-causing microbes, teaching the immune system how to fight them as well. And RNA can encode for proteins found not just in infectious diseases, but also, for instance, in cancers. In addition to messenger RNA, a range of other RNAs play key roles in metabolism and health. Oh, boy. It's a medical what? Technology. It's a medical software. Software. Which is a tech. Mm-hmm. They are using and putting software medical quote-unquote software into our bodies to solve problems i didn't sign up for Neuralink. come on you haven't yet but if they try to force you into receiving some medical software 
I don't know about you, Dave, but I'm using software right now. And do you know when I when I use software, it has updates. And so I actually like link to the host and it can put software updates without even me having to go to the store and connect anything. You can just put it in my computer. It can just tell me that there's a software update. And sometimes I get the updates and I didn't even I didn't even remember clicking update. It was just automatic updates in my software. So that sounds a lot to me like something I used to actually follow. It's called futurist technology. And there was a belief system that was even behind futurist technology that actually drove a lot of the innovation and the things that were being done. There is a belief that we will start to integrate technology into our biology and become a different species. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that belief system is called? Transhumanism. It is called transhumanism. So I believe, and this is my belief, this is my assertion, that transhumanism is actually the belief system that is driving all of this. And I really, because I believe it, I I know that where these ideas are prevalent, if there's one place that is the most concentrated of people who believe in that, they are in the tech space. Mm Mm-hmm. Science and tech are very closely related. Mm-hmm. Medicine is a type of science that is now using tech to upgrade its stuff so much so that now they have medical software. And this is the greatest thing ever, Dave. The news can't wait to tell you about all the different ways that they can use this technology to help keep you safe and healthy. Yes, and and remember, they're safe and effective. They've saved, proven, proven that they've saved millions of lives, and they want you to believe it. The last clip I have from you is from a man. Uh, that before our, before we go to our producer break, because we got some producers. Can you believe it? We got some producers. Oh no, we got got some producers. Yes. We got some producers. Thank you. This is Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is one of the most famous scientists of the 20th century. He was popular for uh, most mainstream because he had a show called Cosmos with Carl Sagan that was remade with Neil deGrasse Tyson. It was a throwback to that. So Carl Sagan is an authoritative figure historically for science, especially in the 20th century. And he had a warning for us that we've arranged a society based on science and technology in which nobody understands anything about science and technology. And this combustible mixture of ignorance and power, sooner or later, is going to blow up in our faces. I mean, who is running the science and technology in a democracy if the people don't know anything about it? And the second reason that I'm, I'm worried about this is that science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, a way of skeptically interrogating the universe with a fine understanding of human fallibility. If, if we 
are not able to ask skeptical questions, to interrogate those who tell us mm -hmm. that something is true, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs for the next charlatan, political or religious, who comes ambling along. Like someone who claims, I am science. Like someone who claims, I am science. Yeah, and he said, yeah, like, who, who is running? Who is running it then? And that's the question that we're going to tackle on the other side of the producer break. But first, I'd like to thank you for your courage, Dave. Way to stay in the pocket with me today, bro. I know I told you that it was coming hard. I was coming hard today. And and technically, we are one, well, more than a quarter of the way through. We're well beyond a quarter of the way through the whole episode five and six tapestry. But let's let's just say thank you to our producer, shall we? Shall we? Let me let me see if I got a little. Let's let's get a little music in here. Hold on, hold on one second. Today, Dave, I would like to thank our first person who donated their treasure. Ooh, we have a treasure donor. Thank you. We and love that the man is Sean Rivers. Sean Rivers. Sean my Rivers, guy. my guy, has donated. He's coming all in. Wait for it. He's coming in at a dollar. Let's go, Let's baby go. bear. I love it. Let's go. Let's go. We get this man some applause. Thank you. Thank you, Sean Rivers. Thank you for your kind, kind donation. Yes, sir. We love the value for value. We love the booty. We do indeed. Dave, remind the people out there how the value for value system works. Well, we've got three ways you can share with us if you feel like this has been valuable to you. We, you can share your time. You can share your talent. You can share your treasure. AKA your booty. And Sean Rivers shared his treasure today. And yeah. we care about that. Our, I said, if every listener out there donated a dollar per show, we'd be great. We'd be thrilled. Yes, sir. And Sean is the first person to step up. And for that, thank you, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give you one more applause just to let you know we care about you. Yes, sir. We did uh, receive some other type of value. Excellent. Um, so somebody submitted a song that we're going to use for Bop or Flop today. Okay. All right. So we got that. And I got a couple of more bits uh, queued up for, for the next for the next one because I got to save some of my stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and plus, I don't want to go too, too long on today's episode. I want to get it about, you know, I, I mean, I got to keep it under two hours, okay? Yeah. So that way people can get it this week and then get another show later. They, But we're going to do it all today because we're staying in the pocket and we're going to get this out there for people. And who knows, they might come across it in the future and they want to listen to both episodes back to back because they're having such a great freaking time they're just learning so much so uh in the value for value system you can donate your time your talent and your treasure okay dave what are some advice uh, ad examples of how people could donate their talent Ooh, maybe you uh are a great graphic designer you know and you, you think hey man this logo looks good but check this one out 
You send this one your way. That'd be dope. Oh, man, that would be dope. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be so cool if we had so many people that were making us art one day that we got to choose a new one every show? That would be super incredible. Rad. But yeah. we'll start with somebody saying, "Hey, I like your I like your logo, but I think this one would be so much better." And they could send us some user art and make their art the official logo of our podcast. Hundred percent. That would be so cool. Maybe they're a, an excellent uh, connector, and that is their great talent. Is you know. Uh, building relationships, connecting people, and they say, "Hey, you know, Brooks and Dave, you really got to meet so and so over here, and let me let me make that introduction for you." And they, hey, that would be great. It would be so great, wouldn't it be? I think it would be very great. And another way that they could donate is with their time. Amen. If you're listening to the show, great job. You've become a producer. Why don't you take the extra step, just the extra bit of time, to rate this five stars and share it with a couple people. Share it with a couple of people. And, and leave us a kind comment wherever you get this podcast. Please rate us, share us. This is also some of the value for value that we hope to receive, that we hope to receive. So uh, I think we, we, hey, listen, it's only episode five. We got a long way to go. I'll know by episode, I'm guessing like 30, how invested these people are. Because I'm planning on doing 100 of these to get all my messaging that I have on this particular subject and tapestry of subjects out in 100 episodes. That's my goal. Dave, I just finished Barbell Buddha Rediscovered, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. All 100 episodes have been released. So I at least want to match my previous effort and we get 100 go. shows out. We got to go 101. 101 minimum. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're going to do it. Uh, so we, yeah, I got a couple of, you know, got a, got a couple of things still yet to go yet to come. Uh, we, you know, we like to do a little stuff in the fun side of things. So before I, uh, I'm, what I'll do is I'm going to do some fun stuff, but then we're going to go back to some of the clips to set up the next episode. Okay. Okay. Serious fun, serious. We're, we're going to do some fun stuff just for a second. Cause I was, uh, recently I had the opportunity to help create a pilot. Hmm. Okay, I had an opportunity to create a pilot podcast episode for a group called Feed the People. All right, and uh, just to remind you, uh, I last time on our show we did a little bit called Manthropology. Uh, this you should remember this one. Manthropology. Manthropology. And as we were doing it, uh, what ended up happening? Gone to. Uh, gone to some country accents like this with some with some steak, some, some, some western. Steak. Yes, yeah, we we grill. got yeah, we got down here. Yeah, we did with some smoking tips. So feed the people. They are a, a group of ranchers and people who are there to serve ranchers in the regenerative farm community by connecting them to more people, so more people can get their regeneratively grown and uh, humanely raised food. And they are working on helping decentralize the food system. And we totally share a lot of values on that. And so they, you know, they're out, they're ranchers. And I sort of want to, wanted to make sure that they, you know, uh, sounded good on their first episode because they're doing a live produce show just like this one. And so I just want to play the, the Feed the People intro. Okay, here's, here's the intro to the Feed the People show. Warning. You're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative <laughs> agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. 
It's time to feed the people. (laughs) (laughs) I think this. Oh my god. Fucking brilliant. And this this song. This song is called Skunk Holler. Love it. It's Nate Dog. Nate Dog. Skunk Holler. Now the official intro of the Feed the People podcast, as well as the voice that was born from our manthropology bit, is now a bit on a show, and it's like a thing, bro. Love it, dude. They loved it as well, and that was so much fun. So much fun. Uh, This one I clipped for you, Dave, because as you know, uh, we've recently traveled to Jamaica and we were there and while we were there we met a very special group of young men known as the Whalers Trio and they were curious about uh, my show which is called The King Says Yes and we caught it on film and recently at the immersion I showed a lot of the footage for the group as a you know uh, uh, a fun night story night they thought I was doing The King Says Yes but really I was telling the story about going back and doing the King Says Yes the second round. And there was a part that stuck out to Dave, and I, I clipped it for him here. But in a moment like this, yeah, I'll be getting there's fun. only one answer, and so I ask you, what does the King say? Oh, my God. You have to get the money, man. You have to get the money, man. That was Bingy's dad, uh, uh, Lion Music. And, yeah, he was just so invested in the show that he was like, he was hyping me up. Have to Maybe get one, the more money, time, one more time. But in a moment like this, yeah, you have to get the there's only money. one. In- you have to get the money, man. Oh, dude, man, it was so much fun. Uh, we we really had a ball, and I clipped a couple of things here that I intend to possibly use on the deck one day. What does the king say? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Good. That's a good one. Great ISO. Uh, I might have a couple of other ISOs here. Let me let me uh, pull these guys out to the front. Uh, I think that's all the ISOs that I have today. Um, dude, I'm going to be, I'm not even going to front, man. This isn't, isn't going to be as much fun today just because of the, given the nature of the conversations that we're having, but I'm really trying Dave to make this as fun of an experience for you as I can. You're doing your best. Thanks dude. Cause <laughs> this is actually a pretty serious topic, man, because I just see, I noticed that, uh, it's really working. A lot of this stuff, it's it's really working, and you know, I just want to help people, man. I want to get them, and that's the value that I have to provide is to bring up some, to do the digging, and to try to bring up some real things that are impacting people, and try to help them deconstruct it. Uh, but we still got one more fun thing. Okay, we got the bopper flop, dude. Are you ready? We're all bop so far. So. All right, we're all bop so far. Here's what we'll also do. This one's. Uh, because of the genre of music, it's an it's an electric like uh, it's dance. It's more like akin to Lane Eight. All okay. right, so I'm gonna play it. I don't want you to look at the screen because that'll give away who it is. Okay, but it's gonna let's just say, hey, you uh, listeners out there, expect to just hang out with us on the bopper flop for roughly like 90 seconds to two minutes. I think if you give it time to evolve, you'll get the best sense of whether or not you're feeling bop or flop on this one right. are you ready <clears throat> yes sir. david i ask you hold on is it bop or flop oh we got to get that up it, dave is Turn this a bop or flop 
visor. over there dave honest opinion we're okay hey is it a oh is it is it a wait is it a oh no is it a what bop or flop <laughs> man you know golly day it's a flopper dude oh man it's a flopper it's a flop yeah you're gonna tell you're gonna tell ben walker oh, our dear friend <laughs> ben walker that sunset magic time is a flop this was either gonna be uh, Sean Lazio, a Lance Davis, or a Ben Walker special. That was, those were my three guesses. And Benny boy, I'm sorry to tell you, dude, we, we got to go harder on those breakdowns if we're going to be doing that. It's, hey, it's, Dave, you, know, you heard it here first, folks. I'm sorry, dude. But that that shouldn't discourage it him should not. From, from continuing to pursue this art no doubt, and for continuing to deliver this value of Bopper Flop because Ben was the first actual other producer because he listened to all the episodes. He sent me this song before, like, second day this stuff came out. I've been <laughs> waiting is, to debut this on Bopper <laughs> Flop ever since. So, Ben, we love you. Thank you we for your you so contribution. Much. Thank you. If you are going to contribute value, Value for value. Do me a favor. Go out and introduce us to somebody. We call that giving people a five-finger face slap. It's a serious, fun face slap. And so, Dave, I ask you, what is the five fingers? Say to the face. Slap. That's what you're doing when you introduce people to this show. That's right. I'm Brooks is going to be delivering those five-finger face slaps, ladies and gentlemen. That's just a fact. Okay, so when you go out to people and you're like, hey, uh, uh, I, I have this new show that I've been following. It's, uh, it's called Serious Fun. They're real great. But before I tell you about it, I have a question. What is the five fingers? Say to the face. Slap. So please go out and. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. Oh, man, we're having a good time. Go out and give somebody that five finger face slap for me. Let them know that we exist. We appreciate it we appreciate it all right dave we're closing down episode number five okay about mind control we started with the possible use of an energy weapon that had cognitive impairment and i refer to that as a particular type of mind control and there was some noticeably uh, uh present words like foreign entity and there were some noticeably absent references there and then i took you on another little journey to talk about fluoride which is a tried and true measure used by some of the security apparatus most notably and rec recorded by the cia then we moved into a little bit of the mind control around the media and the covid stuff and then I continued that even though despite the fact that those that technology, that medical software was harming people, they still claim it as a success, a raving success, and that it saved millions and millions of lives. And in no way should be we, we be worried about this technology at all because it's incredible and we can't wait to use it for pretty much everything. And so I wonder why that is. 
So we're going to come back to a series of clips by Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone again. And even though uh, I found him to be very measured in what were the clip series that we're about to go through, he's going to detail why we need or why the mRNA platform itself. He's going to specifically talk about why. And I, again, I think this is fairly measured and I would like to present this to you now, this series. So I'll start with clip number one. Why mRNA vaccines? So why is this being pushed? Why is this, there is this universal global and understand what you've experienced here in Virginia is mirrored by the people that I was just speaking to at a conference in Padua, Italy, um, about an hour and a half ago. Okay, the same things have been experienced in Brazil, all over the Western world. Okay, why has this been pushed? What is the unmet need that's being addressed? Now, I'm not, I'm not placing a value on whether they're right or wrong. I just want you to understand the underlying logic, at least at the surface of this. I think this is a really important place to finish because there's always a reason. Although it may be elusive to find if you don't know where you're looking for it, like why are they subjecting the population to so much mind manipulation about the validity of this technology? Because there seems, I mean, it seems pretty clear that there's some funny stuff going on. They're quick to report things that affirm one narrative, and they're very uh, hesitant to report anything that may be counter to that. Money. I think it's even more than money. Let's keep going. The problem we have is that um, the technology to enable individuals to engineer bioweapons has become so trivial that a college senior working out of their or somebody of similar education level, they can self-train, working out of their garage with stuff they can get off of eBay can easily recreate the most lethal pathogen combinations that our government came up with in the biowarfare program that we ran for years. And I'm not saying we're not still running it. We do it under a different moniker. Okay. We, we call it um, defensive bioweapons research, not offensive bioweapons research. And I'm not sure what the difference is. But that's, that's, the, that's the language that's imposed from the biowarfare treaty that was signed. It's, it leaks like a sieve. Just to kind of frame it, with traditional vaccine technology, we anticipate having vaccines, if everything goes well, for all of the biowarfare agents deployed up until the end of World War II. So that's tularemia and smallpox and all those things. Okay. Vaccines for all of the biowarfare agents deployed up until the end of World War II. And we'll have all those by the year 2050, if everything goes well. Okay, and clearly now we're in an environment in which a young adult or a bad actor in any part of the world can create very potent bioweapons. Okay, so clearly we don't have 
the capability to respond to that efficiently. That is the underlying unmet medical need. That's the problem set. And we need to be all clear about that. We get all wound up, and I'm not defending in any way the way this has been deployed. I'm not saying that this solution is the best solution. I'm just saying there is an unmet medical need, which is there is a very significant threat. It is not trivial. It's not a figment of Cheney's imagination that biowarfare agents can be engineered. Sounds yeah. like a real threat to me. It's scary. Yep. So there is a case to be made that, you know, um, this is uh, important for the security. There is a strong case to be made that having tech available like this. See, one thing that may go overlooked is he said um, the ability to recreate the viruses that were used in the Cold War is now that technology, like a computer, which at that time used to be whole buildings of processors, has gotten smaller and easy to use and more accessible to the mainstream public. So too do other technologies, like how to manipulate biology and turn it into a weapon. And now that technology has filtered down to, like he said, some dude in his garage or some woman that has ill intent with a certain level of training can create these types of things and release them out into the public. And so the, the positive benefit of mRNA platform is the ability to respond to those uh, things, bioweapons that are engineered. Quickly. Have been engineered or will be engineered and respond quickly. Yep. And that's why they are, that's why there's an, a need and in such a high investment in the platform. Okay. But who created the initial viruses that are now needing to be protected against? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's another thing to keep in mind is that like a lot of this technology started with a particular source and now they're having to protect the population from the thing that they created. Yeah, it's not always bats fucking penguins. No, it's not. So here's let's continue with the real threat. Robert Malone. Pathogens can be engineered so they're relatively specific for different ethnic groups based on their genetics. Okay, so pathogens can be engineered. And I can tell you my friends are what used to be my buddies at DITRA. Defense Threat Reduction Agency, Kim Biodivision, are extremely acutely aware that agents can be engineered to target ethnic groups. So that's, that's the battlefield, that's the real environment we're in. So we have to have some technology to enable rapid response. Okay? We have to have some technology to enable rapid response for... Uh, um, special forces teams that are going to go in to wherever the bad guys are when we detect them and and address that problem and take them out. And those, those special forces need to be protected. And we need to have capabilities that can be deployed at the battalion level. And we need to have capabilities that can be deployed at the population level. Military industrial complex. Hello. They have a, an invested need into having this technology for ground troops. And now we're talking gen pop, which is what, what happened. They executed and tried this technology out. The real question is it is whether or not this whole thing was a trial run altogether on many different mechanisms at the same time, or whether or not it was a response to an accident and they still used and weaponized all of these tactics Okay. The trial run thing is very, very not cool. Very not cool. We have, so there's going to be an unveil here. This 
RNA tech was one of the ones, together with monoclonal antibodies, that the government has long believed had huge potential to enable that type of rapid response. They actually like monoclonal antibodies better. The, the idea behind monoclonal antibodies that they really like is you can administer these products to a special forces group. They go in theater, do their business, come back out, go see their wife. Monoclonal antibodies gone. It's cleared. Okay. Yay. The problem is that the technology just has not performed. The monoclonal antibody technology is too kludgy. It's too cumbersome. And what we've learned over the last three years is that viruses and pathogens can evolve to escape that fairly rapidly because they're fairly specific. Okay, we've all seen viral evolution in real time. We experienced it. So that's the unmet medical need that is being attempted. At least that's the justification underlying this, is that there is an unmet need for some technology that will now allow rapid response to both emerging pathogens and engineered pathogens, such as biowarfare or terrorism-based pathogens. And I think we can all agree that we would like such a technology to exist. Do you think that that's a fair thing for him to say, that we'd all like a technology for this to exist, given the threat? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's part of why I want to deconstruct this whole thing, uh, uh, is to have questions like this that like force us to really take a look at what could be real in, in life and that sounds like a real fucking threat to me yeah you know it's the it's the next it's the next one down the pipe that is targeted towards specific folks and and the certainty in the language that it's incoming yeah. is also part of the real challenge and again uh let's just play clip number we have two more clips from him one minute the truth is that DARPA, which is the operational um, development arm, basically the CIA, fell in love with the RNA technology over a decade ago, and they decided to capitalize it and force it into the market space. And for instance, they're the ones that have capitalized through InQtel, their investment arm, the new RNA manufacturing facilities up in Canada. Okay. This is a CIA program. Don't, don't, you know, there's no ambiguity here. I'm not telling state secrets. Okay. Um, the technology was basically pulled out of the trash can because it had been suppressed by Merck after I developed it over 30 years ago and advanced very aggressively by DARPA. DARPA funded and basically built Moderna. They're continuing to push all this, and they're pushing it through the government. You don't say that the organization that is most known for executing high-level mind control of a population also has a financial and a stakeholder stake in the technology that was being sent out into the public? What? company that you know um delivered the the technology moderna and pfizer and used the government to control people 
No way. The CIA would never do that. Oh, wait. Here's Robert F. Kennedy on CIA propaganda history. The CIA was involved in coup d'etats or attempted coup d'etats between 1947 and 1997 against a third of the nations on Earth, and most of them were democracies. And so the CIA does not do public health. <laughs> it does coup d'etats. That's what they specialize in. And they had, during that period of MK Ultra, they were paying social scientists to devise ways of social control. And some of those were individual. They were using psychedelic drugs like LSD. They were using um, um, sensory deprivation, uh, torture techniques, um, and then, you know, fear and propaganda and authoritarian um, messages, etc. And experimenting with all these things to figure out what worked. Well... In beginning around 2016, you know, with the election of Trump and with Brexit, it seems like at that point the intelligence agencies made a decision to turn all of those weapons onto um, the American people. And we saw this this extraordinary propaganda campaign at the beginning of the pandemic. And that the, to the extent that people just say, oh, well, you know, the CIA wouldn't do that to America. It's illegal to propagandize America. It isn't anymore. During the, the Bush, during the Obama administration, that law was uh, essentially that old law that had forbidden uh, was overrided, and it was also overridden in the Patriot Act in 2001 during the Bush administration. The CIA has gotten, has gained all of these increasing powers to propagandize American people and to use these techniques on Americans. And more and more, we're seeing, you know, the control of the press in our country, the, the old resurrection of Operation Mockingbird. When Operation Mockingbird, which is the operation where they controlled hundreds and hundreds of reporters and editors of the most important papers in our country. It was uncovered in 1973, and the CIA kind of said, okay, we won't do it anymore in the United States, but they've been doing it abroad. And there's no, again, that's not controversial. The CIA admits it. They fund these programs mainly through billions of dollars a year through USAID. The U.S. government is the biggest supporter of... This whole thing, Dave, has been a mind control experiment. This whole thing has been a mind control experiment. It doesn't mean that they also aren't double negation acknowledged experimenting with other things mm -hmm. like a tech platform. But if they are diff if one thing is for sure, it is that the propaganda that was brought to the front was intentionally created to ex be a, an experiment in mind control. And they are the most notorious elusive boogeyman that has a long history of doing this and still somehow coming out on the other side of it, being able to create the belief or the doubt of belief in your mind that they're not doing it. That is the ultimate form of manipulation and abuse is when you can be abused and then be convinced that your abuser isn't abusing you. Mm -hmm. We're almost done. This is also to help you understand the mechanisms of control. How the swamp exists and controls the game. 
presidential candidates, whether it's Obama or President Trump or Biden, come into office saying, I'm going to get rid of the swamp. I'm going to get rid of the corruption. But then they get in there and something happens. You know, Trump, Trump got in there saying, I'm going to get rid of the swamp. He asked me to be on a vaccine safety commission. When that news got out, Pfizer gave him a million dollars for the inauguration and then for his inaugural party. And then he appointed two of Pfizer's lobbyists, Scott Gottlieb and Alex Azar, to run HHS, and they killed the Vaccine Safety Commission, and then Gottlieb went to serve on Pfizer's board. That is the swamp. And, they, you know, when these guys get in there, they what happens to them, they, they either get co-opted because all the money and because all the congressional chairs are, are captured by those agencies, so they can't do anything unless they do what they're told. Or they just get overwhelmed because these agencies are so huge and the corruption is so entrenched in them that um, that they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how they're not going to go in the weeds and fix it. So they appoint somebody safe to run that agency. You know, somebody like Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> who's not going to fix it, who's going to basically make sure that he doesn't embarrass the presidency over the next four years. And he's safe. And, and he doesn't know how to run that agency or fix it. He relies on the guys who've been there for 20 years to make sure nothing bad happens that's going to embarrass the president. And That's how they do it, dude. They just keep feeding it back and forth between different agencies. They exist in a small ecosystem and network, and it all feeds off of each other. And the organizations are so huge that when you get into the position of power where you believe you can actually create some change, you find out that there's this whole underbelly of an ecosystem that you don't really know about. It's the ultimate old, old boys network. Well, it, it's or you could call it a deep network or a deep state. state. Yeah. It's not that far out there that there is a, a deep state, all right? It's just you have to dispel what you think a deep state is. It simply can just be a state of practices, like a set of practices that are engaged in, a culture that's engaged in over time. And one of the things that is common in that culture is to engage in mind control because they believe that they have your best interest in mind. Here's another way that... The, the government is used to control the mind, and that is to, you know, have people like Adam Schiff uh, voting against the uh, investigation into said deep state. Mr. Speaker, I rise in strong opposition to the Republican Select Subcommittee to investigate deep state conspiracy theories. And if you had any doubt about what this committee is really about, about its true focus, my colleague from Montana just confirmed this is all about deep state nonsense. Republicans claim without merit that this subcommittee will investigate the so-called weaponization of the federal government, but what it's really intended to do is to undermine the legitimate investigation of President Trump's incitement of a violent attack on this building, on this capital, on this citadel of democracy, an investigation that implicates some of the very members of this body who want to sit on that committee. Make no mistake, this investigation, this Investigate the Investors Committee will do deep damage to our national security. Damage democracy. It'll, it'll damage democracy, damage our security. Don't look over here. 
look over there. The old classic switcheroo. So even the government is getting in on it. So to close this out, I have, I'm going to introduce somebody who's going to be very present with us in episode number six. The guy's name is Mark Passio. Mark Passio uh, is quite the character. Uh, Don't judge him by his outer look, I assure you. Go in and listen to what he's actually saying. Um, Maybe in a similar way to Alex Jones. This is a really tough exterior for most people to like get past to really hear what he's saying. And Mark Passio might even have it more so than Alex Jones. But he's the guy that introduced me the difference between nations, nations and ignorance. Ignorance is when you ignore what you know to be true. Nascience is when you make a mistake because you don't have the knowledge or experience. And when you break down the etymology of words, you can really learn a lot, a lot, a lot about their intended meaning. And so I, I will introduce Mark Passio and the etymology of the word government, which is being used government with the word government, you break it down. People say this word every day almost, and yet they've never looked at the etymological roots of the word. It comes from the Latin verb gubernare. Once again, no V in classical Latin. No V, okay? So again, Vs were rendered as either Bs or Ps in classical Latin language. So the, there, you could write this in what would be more modern Latin as gubernare with a V. But in classical Latin or ancient Latin, there is no V, so it would have been rendered with a B, gubernare. Now, what's the election of a governor called? It's called a gubernatorial election, gubernatorial. Gubernare is in there, okay? Gubernare means to control. The verb gubernare in Latin means to control. The Latin noun mens, which is where the part, the second part of the word ment is derived from, means mind. Okay, so you put these together and the word government actually literally from its etymological roots means to control the mind or in other words, mind control. I didn't have my mic drop prepared for the deck. Government literally means mind control. Oh boy. So if there and it's part of the administrative state. Who has admins usually in business? Corporations and, and uh, CEOs and owners and things of that nature. So the heads of organizations or the people that are in charge and leadership positions tend to have admins. Mm-hmm. So if we have an administrative state, who are they administrative to? Is it possible that there's a layer of state that is one layer deeper that may use government as a form of literal mind control? Is it possible? I don't know, but here's what Mark Passio has to say about believing in government. Chris Leispooner uh, phrased it pretty well. He said, government is nothing but men acting in concert. The morality and value of government, like any other association of men, will be no greater and no less than the morality and value of the men comprising it. Since government is nothing but men, its inherent, quote, authority to act is in no way greater or different than the, quote, authority to act of any individuals in isolation. Government has no magic powers or, quote, authority that is not possessed by private individuals. 
Let he who asserts that government may do that which the individual may not do, assume the onus of proof. That means the burden of proof and demonstrate his contention. And you know what? There's nobody on this planet that can do that. Because when it comes down to it, if you're telling that somebody else, they may either commit a wrong against somebody else or prevent someone else from exercising a right, that's a lie. And that does not exist. Not in reality. It exists in a diseased mind is where it exists. Only in a sick mind is where that belief exists. You have to be imbalanced in the mind, in the psyche, to believe that that's true. Well, use of disease, huh? A virus, you could say? Possible mind virus? My goodness. Dave, there's there's some My people goodness. out there wanting to control us, bro. Ugh, you hate and, to see it. Well, you do hate to see it. I hate to see it. Yep. It hurts me that I know that this is being executed out into the public. I've been through a lot of this journey, which is to not knowing this exists and knowing this exists and then being able to only be able to see that this exists. And now I have, I feel compelled to do something about it. And so episode six is going to be about how to protect your mind. Episode five is called mind your business. Episode six is called and I'll mind mine. And I'm going to teach you how to mind your mind and keep your mind mine in episode six. Let's go. Stay tuned. Like I said, nobody is over.